You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey y'all, it's Bridget here. I had the pleasure of chatting with the co-founder of Fever Tree, Tim Warlow. Fever Tree was inspired to restore the taste of mixers using only high quality ingredients. Now let me tell you something folks, Tim shares with us all about his worldwide adventures to find these ingredients in the most remote places in the world. We're talking about from the Congo to the slopes of Mount Etna in Italy. He also shares with us his zest just for life itself, his passion and his journey in the beverage community. And Tim shares a sneak peek into Fever Tree's new book, Fever Tree easy mixing that is now available. So grab yourself your favorite fever tree cocktail, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Tim, welcome to Served Up. We are so excited to have you on the show today. Well, I'm very, very flattered and excited to be here. So thank you. Amazing. Tim, can you uh, tell our listeners where you are joining us from? Yes, I am sitting in actually sunny London at the moment. It's not often I can say that, but a, a rare, beautiful day. That is wonderful. Are you from London? I am. I am. Take us back a bit to the beginning. So what really inspired you to jump into the beverage industry? You know, what has your path looked like even, you know, early on? Did you go to college? Did you work your way up in the industry? How's your journey treated you and, and um, how's it been? Well, my journey, I suppose, you know, started uh, back at college or university, as we call it here. Um, and, and I started a small business uh, when I was at university. And that, I have to say, really kind of wet my appetite to, to want to start businesses. Uh, but um, despite scribbling all these business plans at university, I was persuaded, you know, quite rightly to go and get a proper job. Uh, so I went into advertising for a couple of years in London, which I loved. I thought it was a fantastic industry, but but the entrepreneurial desire uh, was still burning pretty bright. And I was there scribbling plans and ideas at sort of night and weekend. So I, I stopped after a couple of years to pursue a few of those ideas. And that sort of led me ultimately to start looking at opportunities in and around the world of drinks and very specifically premium drinks. And then in that sort of research and talking to people in the trade, um, I, the, the name Charles Rolls, uh, was mentioned because I was looking very, you know, specifically in the world of gin uh, and Charles, uh, had made a bit of a name for himself in resurrecting this wonderful old brand of gin called Plymouth gin and putting it successfully back on the market, not just here in the UK, but over there in the U S as well. Uh, and, and he sold it to one of the big drinks guys. Uh, and so 
I was told that he was there, you know, looking for a next venture. Uh, and so I called him up out the blue uh, and we met to have a cup of coffee uh, to talk about gin. But at that first cup of coffee, our conversation turned from gin to tonic. Uh, and, and that was because we had both, albeit separately from separate experiences and backgrounds, had really sort of lighted on the same thought and the same idea. Um, and and that, that is where the sort of idea of fever tree came from. So that's a long-winded way, Bridget, of give, giving you, uh, giving you the, my sort of background story. Yes, and it is very fascinating. So you were in university and you had started some businesses. And so already born with that entrepreneurial spirit, because starting your own business is hard, right? And it really truly is only for those who are brave enough to take that on. I, I know this for sure. Were you a gin and tonic consumer? You know, like what inspired you to really go that route versus starting like a liquor brand? I absolutely was a gin and tonic consumer. Uh, you know, we, we've got a great tradition of uh, gin and tonic consumption here in the UK. But really, you know, what led me down this path was, was actually I was just becoming ever more interested in the world of premium food and drink. Uh, because, you know, all of these, you know, wonderful, exciting new brands and trends, you know, were developing and people were becoming ever more interested in quality and provenance. And so that, that is, you know, where I was sort of spending my time and attention looking. I know that you take great care, you know, to source your ingredients as well, which I want to get to in just a moment. But where did the name Fever Tree come from? Such an unusual name, but a name that we all remember and love, you know, in the beverage industry. Good. Well, well I'm delighted you did. I mean, it, it came because uh, the, the Fever Tree is the tree that you get quinine from uh, and quinine or quinine, uh, as I know it's pronounced in America is the, the sort of very essence of tonic water. Um, so, you know, the whole reason that tonic water came about was a way of giving a sort of dose, actually a dose of quinine to, it was British troops out in India, out in the 1800s, because quinine was the only substance at the time that could stop you from catching malaria or indeed cure you from malaria. And malaria at this point, you know, is the biggest killer in the world. So it was this miraculous substance from this miraculous tree. Uh, and it was sort of known, you know, in, in the sort of pharmaceutical world as, as the miraculous fever tree. Thank you for explaining that. I don't think that um, the general public probably doesn't realize that it has such deep Deep, important meaning. So have you done a lot of travels, you know, in your search for these ingredients and, you know, to really to understand, let's bring it down to the context, you know, what a fever tree is and why it's important to understand its history. Can you tell me just about that part of your journey? Definitely. But I tell you what, let me just sort of take you back a step before that, because it, with, with the, the idea really, and and, and as I mentioned, you know, so Charles and I met for this, this cup of coffee uh, to talk about gin. And as I say, the conversation then turned towards the world of tonic water and mixers. And, and that was quite simply because, as I say, from sort of different experiences and backgrounds, we both alighted really on the same thing and seen the same thing. And, and that's that, you know, this world of 
spirits and I hardly need to tell you or your audience, you know, but was growing and growing very particularly at the premium end. Uh, and, you know, the producers were producing ever better quality spirits. You know, they were talking more about aging and provenance and distilling techniques. And, you know, consumers by the, as a result were becoming ever more interested and engaged in this. And, and at the same time, you know, craft spirits were just starting to be talked about, you know, sort of tax rules and regulations have been changing around the world. So craft uh, distilling was starting to appear. And of course, you know, that whole wonderful sort of bartending world has started to develop, um, you know, and I'm talking about here in the UK, but also around the world. So it was all of this noise and interest and media coverage and talk about the world of spirits. Yet, in stark contrast, you know, the mixer category had frankly been overlooked and had been forgotten. You know, it had remained the preserve of, you know, one or two large uh, global brands uh, who really had been focusing much more on manufacturing efficiency and rationalization uh, and artificial sweeteners and, you know, corn syrups, depending where you are in the world. And preservatives have started to find their way in. And so, you know, this is what struck sort of Charles and I as extraordinary is that, you know, there were people uh, prepared and interested in spending money on this really good spirit, yet really had no choice but to drown it uh, with this increasingly commoditized mixer. And, and you know, so that, that was the thought. And, and interestingly, it's a slogan we, we, we use now, but we sort of came up with this, this thought there and then is that when you actually stop, when we started off by talking about gin and tonic, so when you actually stop and think, you know, in that gin and tonic, uh, usually, you know, you put more mixer in than you do spirit. So surely uh, yes. people should be as concerned about the quality of the mixer as they are the spirits. And, you know, and, and that, that was, that was the thought and that was the idea. Uh, and, you know, and that's what we set off to do. But then, you know, in answer to your question, uh, yes, you know, we then thought, right, you know, we want to put quality back in, in all its forms, uh, whether that's the packaging, whether that's the imagery, whether that's the serve, but nowhere, of course, more so than the ingredients, you know, that, that go in the bottle. And, and that resulted in a, in a sort of actually pretty unusual uh, approach to our sort of product development and innovation in the fact that we went back into the history books. Uh, so hence learning all about, you know, the, the, the fever tree uh, and the provenance of all of the ingredients that go into tonic water and other mixers. And then I think, you know, what was sort of particularly unusual is that we went off, got in a plane and off around the world to go and find these ingredients, you know, where, where, wherever they may have been. And so, yeah, so that, that, that was the sort of research that we started doing then and the exploration we started doing then, which, you know, we're still doing today. Sounds like the most exciting R&D trip ever. <laughs> well, so cool. it, 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 absolutely. I mean, you know, there, there's been a whole sort of gamut uh, of you know, different experiences on these R&D trips. You know, so, some of them have been just, you know, wondrous and I'm thinking about, you know, going to the sort of foothills of Mount Etna in Sicily, where we found uh, this sort of rare lemon extract that we use in a number of our products. 
um, to some, you know, more exotic ones off to places like the Ivory Coast to go and find a ginger or, or Southern Indian coaching to go and find ginger or indeed, you know, a, a few more sort of dangerous ones. And in, in, in my case, uh, the, the most memorable of which was actually off in pursuit of the fever tree, off in pursuit of, of quinine. Uh, in our research in the British Library, we found that there was one last remaining plantation of the highest quality quinine. And unfortunately, it was just about in the most remote and lawless place. And that was absolutely in, a, in the heart of Africa, in the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, and, you know, just just give you an idea of, you know, quite how remote that is, is to get there. I had to fry, fly from London to Nairobi in Kenya and then from Kenya to Kigali in Rwanda and then persuade a local taxi driver to take me the eight hours across Rwanda. And, and that was just to get to the border. And the, the plantation was a few miles on the other side of the border in the, in the DRC. And, you know, and to sort of give you an idea of sort of how sadly lawless, you know, that, that part of the, the DRC is, is just in those couple of miles, uh, I got stopped three times on three different sort of impromptu uh, armed roadblocks. Oh, my God. Uh, well, tell yeah. me about that. What did they do? Just search your car? Search well, what happens? Well, it, it, the first one um, was sort of memorable for the fact that they threw a plank of wood, which with enormous kind of six inch nails in out in front of the car. Um, so it's the most sort of primitive, I think they're called stingers that the police use. You know, it's the sort of most primitive stinger, but very effective nonetheless. Um, and so, you know, we obviously came grinding to a halt and they sort of stuck their hand in, you know, for, for a, a bit of payment. They, were, they also happened to be very well armed. So there was never going to be any dispute uh, about the payment. And the second one, you know, they, they didn't even bother with the, the wood and nails. They just had a bit of string, but again, well armed. Um, so, so that worked. But it, it was the third one that is, is left the most uh, impression on me. And that was because we were sort of into a, a sort of a bit of the, the jungle at this point. Um, and, and this young lad, you know, just sort of stumbled out of the undergrowth. And, you know, it's, it's like out of the films, he had a sort of rocket launcher that was sort of slung over his shoulder. And, and so, so again, you know, a, a small payment was made. Uh, to pass. But, you know, it's, it's sad uh, because, you know, that is the state, you know, that that part of the DRC is in. But, but it was a really worthwhile trip because we, you know, to this day, uh, source all our quinine from that producer there. And they're a fantastic company who are doing a brilliant job sort of employing, you know, people in that area. Um, and so actually we've built, you know, brilliant relations with them, you know, ever since that sort of first trip. And I was out there actually just, just before COVID struck most recently. So, so it was memorable, uh, but, but very worthwhile. Definitely. There could be a fever tree, the movie, just based on <laughs> what you just said to me. Oh my God. <laughs> that is wild, man. 
And something that you just said, just, uh, just kind of stuck with me. I know I do. I live in a farming village. It's extremely safe. I live in the United States. Right. But I do know how important agriculture is to a community. And I do know that when a business comes in and supports a farm, how it can truly uplift a community. And I know that that's what Fever Tree is doing in each and every one of those places that you choose to source ingredients. Can you talk a bit about the folks that you have met, um, the partnerships maybe that you have made and how that's helped communities? Yes, well, I mean, having uh, told you that story uh, about our quinine producer, I think that's probably the most relevant because actually when I was last there, as I say, before we all got locked down here in the UK, um, you know, I was back out seeing, seeing those guys and it was so brilliant and heartening to hear how our success as a business ha- has also really, you know, been a success for them. Uh, and, you know, they were sort of full of tales about, you know, the amount of people that are now employed in the business. And, and uh, you know, they were, they were showing me, you know, bottles of fever tree from my first visit there that they've kept. Uh, and so, you know, it's not only a real conversation piece in amongst, you know, the, the farmers locally, but that business, but also, you know, it's exciting to see how we're actually, you know, bringing some much, much, you know, needed uh, a work and a commerce, you know, to that part of the world. I mean, absolutely, because you could so vary and probably so much more efficiently, by the way, nobody's going to, you know, jump out in front of your car if you would have just used artificial ingredients from a factory, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, well, I've never thought about it that way, but yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the fact that, you know, you and your team really are so thoughtful about what goes in each and every one of those bottles. And I do think that that's why the beverage community, especially the bartenders have really rallied behind fever tree. You know, when they see it, when I see it, we know that it's quality and that there's a, there's a great story there that has a lot of integrity, which is super cool. Can you talk a bit about fever trees relationship to the bartending community as a whole and how that's been built from maybe a brand that they've never heard of, you know, a few years ago to now it is, it is a, such a main staple at so many bars. How did that happen, Tim? Share with us. Well, well I'm delighted uh, th- that you say that. Um, and, and it, it really was because, you know, right at the beginning, you know, our, we didn't have any marketing money. Um, and, you know, we're, we're competing in, in this world, you know, with some of the biggest soft drink players and producers, you know, who have no shortage uh, of marketing firepower. Um, but, you know, our view was we've gone to all this trouble to go and find, you know, these ingredients and produce what we thought was, you know, quite simply the best product you possibly could. So we thought there's no better way is going around doing taste tests as Charles and I did right at the beginning, literally bar to bar. Um, to go and meet, you know, the bartenders and bar community, get them to taste the product. And, you know, we, we hoped as a result, you know, become sort of advocates uh, for, for the product uh, and, and for the brand. And that is, that is what's happened. But it has been, you know, it's now I realize I'm suddenly feeling very old because, you know, it was back in 2005 when our first bottle came off the run. Um, so 16 years ago. Uh, that, you know, we have sort of built our sort of bartender community and support in this way, you know, over that period of time. And look, we're incredibly grateful to them. They, they've become great friends and, 
you know, a great sort of part of the, the fever tree business is, is working with the, you know, the bartenders and bar communities all around the world. It's exciting when you hear them say, actually, it's just, you know, really helped their business as well, because it's helped, you know, elevate, you know, these, these mixed drinks and their consumers seem to be appreciative of it. So, you know, there's a wonderful, you know, support as a result. A hundred percent. I think that the bartending community is very loyal to Fever Tree. There's like this camaraderie, uh, very loyal um, to this brand. It's almost cult-like in the United States, which is super cool. But, you know, with that, you know, something that you did give to the bartenders is, you know, just not just another ingredient for them to use on their menus, but it really helped to expand their creativity. And a lot of the bartenders, you know, they want that. They want something new to play with that has integrity and that has a great story. And you gave that to them. Can you talk about the different flavors of Fever Tree? You know, how are those born? How do you come up with these flavors? And what is that process like? Well, that was very purposeful because, because, you know, what we'd seen is this sort of mixer category had become, you know, increasingly, as I say, sort of commoditized and forgotten and overlooked. And as as I think I mentioned, sort of rationalized, you know, the, the choice had gone out of it. You know, and that was part of the reason that, you know, as a result, the interest had gone out of it. I always remember that Charles and I did one and only focus group right at the outset. And it was memorable for the fact it was rather dominated, you know, as focus groups can be, by a rather sort of formidable uh, lady who, who at one point sort of, you know, slammed her fist on the desk and said, look, the thing is about the sort of mixer category or aisle when I'm at, you know, the retailer in the supermarkets, I walk down it and I sleepwalk my way through it because there's no choice. There's nothing there to interest me or stimulate me. Yet I turn the corner and there I am in, I don't know, the chocolate aisle or the crisps aisle and I'm being inundated with flavors and choices, you know, so you've got my interest, you've got my engagement. Uh, and so, you know, we took that very much to heart and said, right, this is what we need to do is we need to, you know, bring choice into it. But then they, in answer to your question about the flavors, I mean, if you, if you take our sort of tonic waters is that we then started to develop different styles of tonic water to go very specifically with the different styles of gin and vodka that were coming to the market. So, you know, more floral one, for instance, with our Mediterranean tonic very purposely to combine with these wonderful uh, new age gins that were coming to the market. So, so that's how, you know, we went about it and, and that's what we've continued to do. So looking at each of the spirit categories and, and very specifically producing mixers that are sort of bespoke to that spirit category to help, you know, enhance and elevate, you know, that, that mixed drink. Uh, and and it, we're grateful for when, as you say, the bartenders appreciate that and allows them, you know, o- opportunity to experiment as a result. Was it harder for Fever Tree to break into the on-premise world? And for listeners that don't know what on-premise means, that means really like restaurants and bars versus off-premise, which just really means like those, you know, liquor stores, um, brick and mortar stores. Which was harder for you, and why in the world of mixers? Well, we started out very much focusing on the the on-premise. Um, and as I said, you know, quite literally going sort of bar to bar and restaurant to restaurant, you know, th- that, that was purposeful in the fact that we really wanted to, to build 
this endorsement uh, from, from that crew, who after all are so influential. That was a personal strategy, but it was very time-consuming and very labor-intensive. You know, it, it really is a case of sort of shoe leather, uh, you know, going f- from, from place to place. And we started to gather some momentum there, um, which, which was exciting. And then off the back of that, and, and actually this is a sort of UK experience because this is where we launched the brand. Off the back of that, sort of quite unexpectedly, we got a call. Uh, from one of the retailers. And so rather ahead of our plan where we were then you know, going to go and approach them, we actually got called by one, which was incredibly exciting because it was our premium retailer, the equivalent of Whole Foods. Um, and so they, they had read about it in, in, in a bit of press. They had seen it at the bars and they said, look, we've been waiting for a product like that. So that was a wonderful, very fortuitous sort of break, which started our, our retail journey. That's incredible. You know, during COVID, when we were all locked down, a big trend or not even a trend, but just, you know, the whole spirit of home bartending really came back, you know, and I laugh and I've been telling this story for such a long time. But my aunt Carolyn, who was now well into her 80s, when the Food Network started showing cocktail making, and I think it was like, I don't know if it's Emerald Lagasse, but somebody was on there making a mojito and she called me and she said, can I borrow your muddler? I need to make a mojito. For your uncle Glenn. I was like, how the hell do you know what a mojito is, first of all? Right. And so what I'm finding is that due to COVID, fast forward now we're in COVID, so many just regular folks who have never worked in the industry before are so hip and so smart, right? On how to make cocktails and where they want to spend their dollars. You know, um, have you received any um, customer insights as far as a mixer goes or any trends that you're seeing? Well, we absolutely saw that trend uh, that you refer to uh, and not uh, just here, you know, in the UK or the US, but you know, all around the world. This is what was so fascinating about it. I mean, we're in 82 markets now and, and we almost saw precisely the same thing everywhere. Where you know this was people's end of the day treat, uh, home entertainment, as you say, or or according to my wife, who was homeschooling four children, you know, a necessity. Um, <laughs> and so it was, you know, it, of course, it was a sort of an, an awful period uh, for so many of us. Um, but you know, th- this was you know one of the things that came from it, as far as we're concerned, is the amount of inquiries you know that we got about how to make you know these simple cocktails. Uh, and actually, as a result of it, we have just published a book, which I know is is coming out uh, in the US this week, uh, and it's called Easy Mixing. Um, and and for the simple reason is we had so many people getting in contact going, I'd love to make a mojito, as you say. I'd love to make, you know, a dark and stormy, a Moscow mule, but I don't know how. And so you actually realize that these sort of simple, easy to make, but delicious drinks is really what everyone was craving. Um, uh, so, yeah, so, so that the, the insight led to a book, I suppose, is the, the short answer. Well, you just can't stop there, Tim. We need to hear all about this book, Easy Mixing. Where can we find this book? Is it for the consumer? Is it for the cocktail nerd? You're holding it in front of you. It's beautiful. 
I love I know, it. I know that that's of no help on radio. But, no, it's uh, not I'm, at all. No help, <laughs> but I get to see it. It's gorgeous. Um, but, you know, tell our listeners about that. Where can they find it? And is it for yes. the beginner or does it have advanced cocktails? Because cocktail books are really hot right now for the reason you just said. Folks, there's a lot of folks that are, are still nervous about going to, you know, um, out to restaurants and bars, and they're still nice. just wanting to keep that at home and they're becoming true experts. So they are. And so the, so we actually have made it a little bit for both. So it's a very personal because I think the one thing that, you know, was really brought home to us in this period is that there is a barrier to making cocktails at home. Um, and, and people get a bit intimidated, you know, by the idea of a long list of ingredients. And so we have in each of our cocktails a, a section which is just the simple two-part and perhaps, you know, at most three-part cocktail. Uh, and then we've got with a twist, as we call it. So there's a way of pimping up that cocktail. Uh, and so that's, we have purposely aimed it of people who don't have a co- home cocktail making experience or bar experience. But then there is a drink with a twist for those who perhaps a bit more uh, brave or experienced with their drink making. So, so that's that's why we produced this book and called it Easy Mixing because that really is the case. Um, and the short answer is Amazon is is that your your best and quickest place to to lay your hands on it. But it will be finding its way across uh, the, the big book retailers in the US in the in the next month or two. I will be picking up a copy of that. I collect cocktail books, but I want to see what you have to say in there as well. Um, I'm a huge fan of Fever Tree. So I'm always yeah. loving to see, especially the easy recipes. I think that the easy recipes are actually the ones that you can screw up the quickest. And it's just by either putting too much of the spirit in, not enough in, right? Because you don't have all those other uh, flavors to mask it. Yes. And so to have those true recipes, the, even the most basic, simple ones are sometimes the ones that you can not always make consistently. Well, I quite agree. And, you know, in, in our case, you know, is here we are talking a lot about in, in our business about, you know, gin and tonics, vodka spritzes, <laughs> Moscow mules, dark and stormies, ranch waters, all these things, which tend to be two ingredient cocktails. But still, people are a little unsure about the quantities of each, and then indeed the garnish. Um, and as you say, you can make a drink, you know, even better if you get that mix right and you get the right garnish in the right glass. So we—that's why we have tried to make it as as simple and easy to follow as possible. Yeah, I think that's really exciting, and it's also using the right ice. I couldn't agree with you more. The right ice and enough of it, you know. I, Different in the U.S., but here in the U.K., um, I, the, the, the history is to use very little ice um, and, and you, a couple of small ice cubes that, you know, have melted, you know, by the time you've even put the drink in front of people. And so already started to dilute that drink and the joy of it. So just getting people to use enough ice is, you know, the first step. And then, as you say, the, the quality of ice being the second. For sure. I think it was David Wandrich that once said, like, it's the salt and pepper of cocktails, just like bitters. I mean, it just, it's an ingredient. It needs to be there and you need to pay attention to the type of ice that you're using. So with that said, Tim, you know, how are you making your gin and tonics? Well, I have to say that my real sort of uh, gin and tonic epiphany came from when Charles and I went to Spain very early on. 
Um, and and we we had I talked about a bit of good fortune with our UK retailer. We had another uh, bit of good fortune early on, and and that was the fact that one of our bottles of tonic water found its way to a chef in Spain, a, a gentleman called uh, Farhan Adria, who happened to be the chef at El Bulli, uh, which is his restaurant, which at the time was considered the best restaurant in the world and had won this accolade uh, for five years running. You know, no restaurant has uh, before or since. Um, and he loved his gin and tonic. And so he actually called us uh, out the blue uh, and asked us to, to come and visit him at El Bulli, which I can assure you took no persuasion because at the time you couldn't get a table there for love nor money because it was this small, beautiful restaurant and the waiting list, you know, was sort of years old. So we went and, and one of the reasons that he, he invited us was actually he was so complimentary about Fever Tree uh, that it actually made it into a dish at El Bulli. So this world-famous tasting menu included a dish which he'd made a super to Fever Tree uh, tonic, which is like a sort of granita just out of, uh, uh, out of Fever Tree. And he said, because the ingredients in it are so good, it's not only fantastic with your gin tonic, but it's good enough to eat, which is, which is what it made. But at the same time, he, he produced with great fanfare these gin and tonics. And, and that big copper glass that we now see around the world came from Spain and came very much from these top chefs of Ferran bring one. So they you know, always served their gin and tonic in these wonderful big glasses. And as you rightly say, with lots of big, in, in that case, those beautiful ice balls, and where the Spanish are so good with their gin and tonic is they're extremely generous with their measure of gin. Um, and, and, you know, so well diluted with tonic. And it's, you know, that to me is, is the way to drink gin and tonic. These big glasses, so you get your nose into it. So you can really appreciate, you know, all the botanicals and all these different flavors going on. Uh, and ideally, in that case, you're sitting there with the Mediterranean lapping, uh, you know, at your feet as, as that, was, that was our experience. So, so definitely that's how I like to drink it. I think that's how I would like to drink it too. I've never <laughs> drank it that way, but I think yeah. that's on my my goal list now. <laughs> done making bucket list, mom's making goals. So I think right. <laughs> that's pretty fabulous. Go. In your travels, would love to hear in your experience, you know, you have this beautiful and wonderful opportunity to meet so many different cultures and see how they share beverage. You just mentioned one. Can you talk about maybe how we are all the same, you know, kind of what, what ties us together in the beverage community and maybe some uniqueness that you've discovered as well? Well, look, I mean, if we're talking about gin and tonic, you know, I mean, this is what's so fascinating is that you're here in England, uh, you know, we historically drink our gin and tonic, you know, before dinner. And, you know, historically it was in, you know, these sort of rather small, uh, slim gin glasses, as, as we call them, um, with only a few ice cubes. But fortunately, with we, along with the gin companies that have helped educate uh, the Brits about that, but but we you know drink it as this aperitif uh, there in Spain. Interestingly, in this wonderful sort of big glass, they drink it as a digestive after the meal. Uh, and even and even the term there, gin and tonic, is, is a sort of drink uh, for celebration. So you know that that is very different. Another exciting market for us is Italy, 
um, where they really do drink it on this aperitivo uh, moment. And there they use sort of smaller glasses. So what's quite interesting is just with the one drink, you can see how sort of culturally, you know, people treat it differently uh, and even serve it differently. And I think that's what's so fascinating about the drinks industry. You know, is these cultures uh, are encapsulated uh, in in the drinks that are drunk and the way they're drunk, and even with whom and where they're drunk. Uh, and so that's what I think is endlessly, you know, interesting about the industry we work in. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, what cocktails do and what our industry does is truly, you know, create memories for yes. folks. You know, absolutely, and that's what it's all about. Especially yes. when you belly up to a bar after a long day and you just want to talk to maybe that bartender or, you know, talk about the day, whatever it might be. You're either escaping maybe <laughs> some memories yes, of the day, exactly. but you're definitely making Drinking some new ones in a comfortable well, yeah. place, right? <laughs> yeah. It's typically exactly. about celebration and, and yeah, coming and, together. And isn't that what's so exciting about, you know, all these sort of wonderful, great quality uh, products that are now available? Uh, and now are being, you know, brilliantly served, you know, by the bartending uh, community around the world because it just helps elevate that experience mm-hmm. uh, and you make it even more memorable. To to your point, so you know, this, this is what is exciting to be, you know, operating in these times with all of these fantastic ingredients around. I mean, I agree. The more that the consumer is aware of what they're purchasing, where it's from what the story is and where they want to put their dollars. I think that there's just a huge consciousness that just wasn't always there before, right? It used to be all about quantity, not about quality. And now there's been this huge shift with the consumer. And it's so great in in the bar world, we talk so much about trends, but I do feel that we're in this time now where we are going back to the basics. We want to use fresh ingredients. We want to not have to use a soda gun you want yes. to use something that has oh. that's going to accompany your spirit and uplift it and create something beautiful and just really getting back to the A, B, and C's of hospitality. And well, I think that's I, where Fever Tree fits in. It just kind of within this new golden age as we're still in of the cocktail, it makes perfect sense. Bridget, look, it's kind of you to say that because I, I really agree with you. I mean, don't don't get me started about the soda gun, you know, that. Oh, that, let me get you started on the soda that, gun. That, that just... gun or a weapon is, you know, a weapon of mass destruction as far as I'm yes. concerned, you know, when it comes to cocktails. Because look at it, you know, it's a tragedy. There are people who have aged that beautiful spirit, you know, they've distilled it, goodness knows how many times, you know, they've aged it in these wonderful barrels. And then it gets drowned, you know, out of this gun that's just had another product going through its lines moments before and poorly, poorly carbonated uh, with processed water. You know, I think this is this is such a shame. And it, it, it to your point, you know, this understanding of the sort of provenance, the quality that goes into these drinks does absolutely make that drink taste better and improve your experience. So that's why I think those guns, you know, are, are great sadness when you see them. They are a great sentence. And I don't know if you've ever ordered any sort of a spirit with ginger ale and then they they put uh, Coca-Cola with like Sprite and yeah. try to pass it as ginger ale. I mean, I could just, there's so many nightmare stories that we can blame completely on the soda I really agree because gosh, I, I mean, I won't bore you now, but we've got in our ginger ale and our ginger beer, we've gone to three different parts of the world. And, and that's simply because 
You know, ginger is the most extraordinary and exciting ingredient because they really do differ uh, depending on the country and the cultivar of, of, of the ginger. So, you know, one of our great discoveries, which Charles found out in the sort of the deepest Ivory Coast, was this fresh green ginger, which is oh. superb. It's got this sort of lemongrass citrus burst as you taste it. But so the point being is that, you know, these are wonderful drinks. And, and, you know, and ginger ale, interestingly, you know, came about, it was developed as a mixer because ginger is a flavor enhancer. So it actually, you know, helps pull out the peaty, the spicy, the smoky notes in the dark spirit that's being mixed with. So it's there for very, very good reason. And why it makes that drink such a delicious, simple, but delicious drink. And so, as you say, you know, when that whiskey is being drowned with, you know, a, a mixture of Sprite and Coke, I mean, it's a tragedy uh, because, you know, it's ruining one of the great, great, simple but delicious drinks if they're made well. And that just goes back to saying how you can totally screw up a simple cocktail yes, with exactly. the ingredients that you use, exactly. right? Quite. A thousand percent. I mean, I think that we need to bury the soda gun. Well, I, I would happily go to that funeral. I will happily go to it as well. I mean, it's such a disappointment. I have to tell you that so many places will charge you the same, whether yes. you have a beautiful product like Fever Tree or if you're using a soda gun, you know, they don't care. I mean, and the, in the interesting bit about it as well is that, you know, we're, we're of course the great advocates of the fact that you should always have a you know single serve fresh bottle uh, served alongside your cocktail. And that's for a very simple reason is all of the customers we talk to, all of the research we do uh, all around the world, it's so fascinating how the strength of the mix, it, it, you know, everyone has their own view on. You know, so some people, you know, some people like, as someone said to me the other day, Hey, you, you serve me my, you know, vodka and tonic. I like to have just a splash of tonic because I want to get kind of, I want to get that alcohol hit and then I dilute it, you know, as, as the sort of drink goes on. The other person says, no, 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 no. I, I want the whole bottle in and I want to be pebble dashed, as they said, you know, by the sort of carbonation that comes from the mixer. And so the point is everyone is so particular actually about the, the dilution of their drink. So as you say, back to that gum when they just splash it in and just shove it across the, gut, the bar, you know, I mean, that sort of undermines this whole wonderful drink and, and, and experience. Yeah, and it's not just a gin and tonic, right? There's so many cocktails that can be used um, with this mixer. Yes, well, look, look, it goes it, well beyond that, and non-alcoholic cocktails as well, or low ABV. Correct, right? and and I mean, I look at the US. So our biggest product in the US now is our ginger beer, um, and so you're right. You know, this this rise of the mule. You know, the Moscow mm -hmm. mule, the Kentucky mule, the Jalisco mule. You know, all using you know good quality ginger beer is very exciting, um, and I think you know that that resurgence in the mule is directly linked to the improvement in ginger beer uh, that's available because, you know, it makes it such a delicious drink. Um, so absolutely, you know, we're, we're, we're not just uh, a tonic water. I mean, that, that is a, a big uh, product for us. But the other one that I'm very excited about there in the US is our pink grapefruit, our sparkling pink grapefruit for the Paloma. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think that's such a delicious cocktail. And of course, you know, you're enjoying this wonderful uh, resurgence in the world of tequila. 
Um, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a great way to drink it. So, so yes, we're, you know, very focused on not just the gin category, but the vodka category, tequila category, bourbon, you know, Scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey, and, and goes on uh, developing all these different mixes very specifically for these different spirits. Well, we thank you for that. <laughs> well, it's very enjoyable in doing it. So I need to thank me. Yeah. Um, you know, before we run out of time here, I would love to know from you, you know, what's next for Fever Tree? You've had such an adventure. You should have like a um, a short film about <laughs> well, about the about your business. I mean, it is truly about you're a pioneer in the industry, but also such an adventurer. This this Fever Tree has such an adventurous spirit behind it. It's well, incredibly look, unique. So, uh, what's next? As I, as I said, it's it's been fun, um, and I think the. For me, the exciting bit about it is I can see a lot of adventure and fun ahead. Um, and that's because we just see, you know, this whole move, as you've said, to simple mixed drinks just growing and growing and growing. And, and it is fascinating, you know, to see how sort of beer, you know, is starting to be in sort of quite notable decline in terms of volume. Um, wine is sort of stagnating. Um, and, and yet spirits. Uh, and these sort of mixed and simple cocktails are just growing and growing. And and from all we hear and see is I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. So, you know, we've, we've got a lot to do. And, and as far as we're concerned, that's sort of a long way to go. So I'm, I'm very optimistic that the adventure will continue. I, I think it will. I don't know if you're going to be jumping out of a plane and ha- then harvesting something and somewhere that you can only get by helicopter. I am so excited uh, well, to see. It, Tim, I, what, are you, what are you going to do next? <laughs> well, I'm so excited that I can get back in a plane. Yes, um, I have to say, because there, there are lots of ingredients out there that I want to go and, and, and find uh, and lots of trips that I've had to delay. So I, I can't wait to get back out there. Well, I would love to have you back on Served Up when you do. And just to continue to hear your wonderful stories of adventure and really that you truly have that spirit of not giving up as well. You know, you've persevered during a time which was impossible, which is still in a lot lot of cases, very impossible in a category, like you said, that is just kind of overthought, you know, just not thought of, I should say. And so to come out on top is is amazing. And I think it's incredibly inspiring to our listeners, like to not give up and to keep chasing and trying and, and just to go for it. Well, Bridget, it's very kind of you to say, and thank you very much for having me on. I've much enjoyed it. Yes. Thank you. You know, and on behalf of Served Up, Tim, I want to wish you just some great health during this time and just a whole lot of peace. So thank you. And uh, cheers to you. Brilliant. Well, cheers. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!